the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, church questions, pretty much whatever is going on in your heart and mind, we will do the best that we can to answer. Now, to get those answers, you need to call. Here's the phone number. It's area code 210-340-9585. It's 340-9585. You can call toll-free if you're outside the local area at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free Uh, The hands-free and the free KSLR mobile app, just hit the Call Now button, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time, 340-9585. Because it's Wednesday, we've got a Bible study tonight, and normally I would just mention it. We'd love to have you come or watch it at calvarysa.com. Uh, but this is a Bible study for mature audiences because it deals with with uh, a really, really horrible subject. We're in Second Samuel chapter 13. Uh, it's a chapter that even as I read it, I feel like I need to take a shower. Um, I want people to know that, that there might be some trigger warnings um, um, in this Bible study tonight. So um, be either prepared for it or avoid it if you have... Uh, been raped or abused by a relative. Um, you know, one of the things about the Bible, and I've said it many times on this program, is that we the Bible doesn't try to cover up the ugly parts of the life of the people of God, and it's certainly not going to be the case tonight. Uh, sin is full on on display. So that's our Bible study tonight. Don't worry, tomorrow everything will be better because Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow, ladies, on the date day edition of the program. If you need any encouragement or any questions, maybe if there's any reaction to tonight's Bible study, if you need to talk, um, Paula will be able to help you and we'll do the best that we can. So I hope that makes sense to you. Let's go right to the questions that we have. My first question is from Anonymous from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. What is the proper way to respond to a homosexual couple wanting to visit a Bible-based church that opposes homosexuality? Their motive appears to be to want to know Jesus. They do not appear to be dishonest. Also, I'm thinking of the church body, and if after some time there is no agreement with God and repentance of sin, do you ask them to leave? Please help. Anonymous, I will do that. We have actually had uh, this exact scenario um, many times in our church. And, and here's the way that we respond to them. First and foremost, I want every unbeliever, every unbeliever to be in church every, every day if possible. So I would never tell somebody who is an unbeliever not to come to church, nor would I ever ask them to leave. 
um, if somebody had been here for a long time and they still their heart hasn't changed, I might talk to them pastorally in the sense that, you know, if you if you say no to God often enough, your heart gets so hard and you're actually in a, in a worse position than you were before. Um, but uh, I, 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 I wouldn't ask someone to leave. I wouldn't expect that. Now, a believer or somebody who claims to be a believer, it might be different. But in this particular in this particular case, um, I want him to visit a Bible teaching church. Um, especially as you say, their motive appears to be honest. Um, that's that's the spirit of God leading them. And in thinking of the church body, anonymous, um, I have every confidence that no matter who walks in our church here, they're going to be loved. They're going to be made to feel welcome. Um, Nobody's going to avoid them, uh, even if they're openly homosexual. Uh, And and we've had that situation, as I said, on on several occasions. So it's not something that I'm I'm just talking about theoretically. It's what we've done. Uh, I think there's no better way to understand the love of God than for the people of God to reach out to sinners. We avoid them so often and we look down our nose at them. Sometimes, unfortunately, we judge them. Um, it's, it's not judging someone to say what you're doing is wrong as long as you can say, but come in anyway so that you can hear the word of God and give the Holy Spirit a chance to work. Remember, it's not our responsibility to convert people. We're under no pretense, Anonymous, that that this is some little holy huddle here at Calvary Chapel every time the doors are open. And and I would be, as the pastor here, very, very disappointed if anybody in this church would make somebody feel unwelcome. We have had literally dozens of openly gay people repent of their sin, confess it as sin, and accept Jesus Christ. And certainly not because of my preaching. It's the word goes out, and I think that's important. I never avoid anything. But I think in large part simply because of the love that people experience here. And they know they're not getting that in a sinful relationship. And yet when they see people open their hearts, it changes them. So uh, anonymous, I, I wouldn't even worry about it. Let the Holy Spirit direct people to leave or to stay. But... If they keep coming, the only thing that I wouldn't ever want them to do is to misunderstand that our acceptance of them was not acceptance of their sin. And I know here at our church, for example, that would never happen because there's just going to be too many people ministering to them. So I hope that makes sense. You know, not too long ago, we had a, I told you before, Jocelyn, uh, who is uh, uh singer in our worship team. She does most of the lead vocals, uh, Pastor Lane's wife. Uh, in her m- secular music career, she was a huge, huge star, and especially among the gay community. And so when people found out, because of some news stories that were on in the area, found out that she was here, uh, man, we had people showing up all the time, wanting autographs and taking pictures. They were her fans, and in some of those cases, those people were gay. And uh, Every one of them was treated with love and respect, but every one of them was also told that what they're doing is wrong. Jesus is better. So that's the way we respond to it here. But never, ever would I want to keep somebody away. And again, if it made anybody in the church uncomfortable, then my problem would be not with the visitors. My problem would be with the professing Christians who are uncomfortable in the presence of sinners. So, Anonymous, I hope that helps you a little bit. If it doesn't, maybe you can write again, and um, uh, I can maybe be a little bit more clear. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question, anonymously. Another one: uh, If my girlfriend and I get married at City Hall, is that acceptable to God, or must we marry in a church? Um, anonymous. As long as you get married, it doesn't matter where you get married. Um, I know we Christians have the sense that if it's not in a church wedding, it's not holy. God has ordained the the institution of marriage. It's it's from Him. It's a gift from Him, and so all we need to do is get married. Just get married. Don't 
compromise Bible study that I'm doing tonight. Don't ask anybody to make any sexual compromises um, um, before you're married. Don't throw that old tired line, well, if you love me, you'll prove it kind of thing. But but once you make the decision to get married, keep that marriage pure and holy before the Lord, or the, the, the engagement. Uh, and, and if you're dealing with temptation, go get married and do it as quickly as you possibly can. Uh, here at our church again, this is the church I pastor, so this is where my experience is. Uh, we've had a whole bunch of people come in and ask that same question, and we'd say, well, why why do that? Just go get a license to come and I'll marry in my office. Have one of the other pastors do it, if that's the case. So uh, you can get married wherever you want to get married, as quickly and as easily as you want to. I would highly recommend marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling. So I hope that helps. Thank you, Anonymous. Let's go to Castroville, our old friend John. John, thanks for calling. Good to hear from you again. How are you today, Pastor Ron? I'm doing really well, John. Thanks. Good, good. My, my, myself as well. We're, we're moving on. We've had a new uh, chance at life, so we're moving on. Say, good for I have you. A question. I have a question for you. Uh, if you look at Matthew uh, chapter 25, verse 40, uh, Jesus said that what you've done to my brethren, you have done it to me. So, you know, when I when I back up from there, I, I was listening to to um, what's his name over there in uh, in Seguin, um I can't remember his name offhand, but he was talking about works, and I know that works will not get you to heaven, but in Matthew six he says. Store up treasures in heaven, not here on earth. And so, when I, I got the, it got the best of me, and I started looking around throughout the Bible, and so far I found thirty-eight different verses of Scripture. I, I can't recite them offhand, but that talk about the commands of Jesus, because I know in in, in John fourteen fifteen he says, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." And so, well, not to be confused with the Ten Commandments, it's it's helping people. You know, if you see somebody that that needs something to eat, give them something to eat. You know, if you see somebody that needs something to drink, give them something to drink. Uh, and it's you know, et cetera, so forth. If they don't have any clothes, try to help them out there. And that's not going to get you to heaven. But based on the scriptures, I feel like um, that it will put crowns in heaven, if you will. Does does that does that make sense? Yeah, it it does, John. I, I think that I think you're missing the point in Matthew twenty five, however. I think the, the the conclusion that you come to is right. We are to do good things, you know, that's the royal law of love, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength and mind, and love your neighbor. The second commandment, the greatest commandment, is like unto that, uh, or on the same playing field. Um, love your neighbor before yourself is what we're being told. So uh, when we do those things, yes, we are getting rewards, especially in those cases where uh, our heart is right, our motive is right, what we're doing it to serve the Lord. Uh, in Matthew 25, however, uh, this is talking about a judgment. Remember, this is the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, uh, Luke uh, 21, and I think Mark chapter 13. Uh, Jesus is talking here about um, how people deal with his people, Israel, at the time of judgment. Uh, going back to verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And then the nations are going to be gathered before him, and that's going to be the, the, the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Uh, as okay. he tells the sheep to go one way and the goats to go another way, um, right. one is going to be blessed and the other is going to be spending eternity uh, in, in, in hell. So the idea here is this is a judgment, and this very specific judgment, this is a, a, only a Jewish context, um, the Olivet Discourse. And, and sometimes we try to read it, John, from a, from a Gentile perspective, and we miss the whole point of it. The idea here is that on that day, people are going to stand before the Lord, and in this particular judgment, um, right at the Great Tribulation, the end of the Great Tribulation is going to be, how did you deal with my people Israel. 
Yeah. And he goes, he goes through the whole, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. Thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. Um, the, the righteous, those who are the sheep, um, will we'll say, well, we didn't do it to you, Lord. And he'll say, yeah, you did when you did it to my people, Israel. So that's the context of this particular judgment. Well, I'm glad you straightened me out on that. But, you know, when I but read you, that, I'm going, well, it's got to be tied together in some way. So yeah. that's, that's why you, I was wondering about it. Yeah, John, you're absolutely right with the other conclusion. When we are doing things with the right heart, First Corinthians chapter 3 actually talks about this in detail, uh, when our good works are going to be tested uh, in the fire of heaven. And, and by that I mean in, in the holiness, when all of our secrets are going to be laid bare, um, we are going to have crowns that are stored up for us. And, and yeah. all of our works are going to earn those rewards. However, some of those works are going to be wood, hay, and stubble works that get burned in the fire because we're going to, we're going to find we didn't have the right motive or we did it uh, with the wrong heart. Um, but, but, but make no mistake, the things that we do here on earth matter a lot. That's why James could say, um, show me your faith without works. I'll show you my faith by what I do. And right. um, uh, Paul, Paul seemed to think that earning those crowns was really important, and I think we ought to think they're really important as well. Well, Thank I, you, John. I personally believe that they're very, very important. And so I can tell you, uh, the, since you've been on the air, I, I became a, a born-again Christian, and things are a lot different now, a, a lot different. <laughs> and so, <laughs> I mean, it, I just look at things with a whole different perspective that I, since I've been studying the Bible. So I appreciate your comments, and uh, thank you very much, Pastor Ron, and you have a good My day. My pleasure, John. Thank you. Thank you much. Um, bye-bye. Bye-bye. You know, with a call like John's, that's um, that's that's why why I do this program. Uh, just to imagine, now see there there goes a reward, a crown, uh, when I get to heaven, and um, uh, and and I didn't do anything except what God told me to do, and that's the reason we do this. People are changed, and John's comment, life is so different. That's what happens when you're born again. Now, I'm going to be really careful here because I don't want to go uh, get on a soapbox. But we in this church culture have got to get past this thing. No, I answered an altar call or, or I was baptized, so I'm okay. And I told my church this in the Bible study we had last week. John the Baptist introduced the baptism of repentance. If you meet Jesus, if you meet the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus I call my Jesus, he changes you. You cannot stay the same. Some change more quickly than others. Uh, obviously, there are some stubborn people. But John is a perfect example. Everything is different. It's not a new, improved version of John. It's a completely new man that was created by being born again in Christ. And we who are Christians, we go through our life, we kind of get it on autopilot, we embrace sin, the things of this world, um, we get so desensitized to it. And yet the truth is, if we've met Jesus, we have to be changed. I know people that refuse to forgive and claim to be saved, and I'm not questioning their salvation, that's not for me to do, but I, I want them to know, how, how are you ever going to explain that to Jesus? Men who yell at their wives, especially in front of their children, but, but just who yell at their wives. The, the, the conversations and the volume that too many children have heard their moms and dads say to one another, the horrible things they've said to one another in the hearing of their children. The man or the woman who walks around in anger you can't hold on to those things if you've met Jesus. I've had people tell me, well, it's just the way I've always been. But that's the whole point of being born again. And what's happened with John is what we, all of us, need to understand should happen to us. Since he's been reading the Bible, since he's been studying, things change. He changes. Why? Because he's got a new way of thinking. Romans chapter 12 says that we're not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But we're to be renewed, made new in the way we think. And the way we do that is by 
the washing of the water of the word. It changes us. When you're a Christian, we have to agree with Jesus, our Christ. And if we'll do that, then like John has experienced, everything will change. Everything will change. John, I so appreciate the call, and God bless your brother, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Here is another anonymous question that came in. Pastor Ron, how should we respond when someone calls what we believe hate speech? Anonymous, you can't worry about it. It's just that simple. You can't worry about what other people think. They're going to call you names. They're going to call you um, everything but, but smart. Um, you know what? doesn't matter. Jesus said they hated me. They'll hate you. They insulted me. They'll insult you. This is just part and parcel of the Christian walk, and we've got to get used to it. Now, nobody likes it, so don't misunderstand me. But we've got to get used to it. And so when I tell somebody that, for example, we had a question about a homosexual couple. When I tell somebody that homosexuality is a sin, I'm doing it because I love them. If I hated them, I'd just let them sin their way into hell. I'm doing it because I love them. And if I'm going to be unfairly judged because of that, well, then that's got to be okay with me. I don't want it to happen. So we just ignore it. That's the response of the unbelieving world, Anonymous. So you tell them the truth, you tell them the truth in love, and Jesus will be smiling on you. He'll be pleased. Let's go to Daniel from San Antonio. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I was going to ask you a question. Something I've been thinking about is I've been hearing you talk about that when you first got saved, you know, you used to listen to a different teachers and, and uh, you know, and, and watch different programs, you know. So you, I know, I know, like, for me, when I first became a Christian, I was the same way, and I had a lot of, it brought a lot of confusion in my life because I, I thought, you know, I would follow one set of Christians, and I thought, okay, well, this is what a Christian is like, but then I would be like, well, no, that doesn't, I feel like something wasn't right, and then I would follow, you know, follow a different, you know, example of Christianity, and then, so, but where did, when did you come to a point where you told yourself, well, this is what I'm gonna believe as far as, you know, the doctrine that dictates your, dictates your life, and, uh, and, and not only that, but, uh, as far as, uh, you know, because I've been to some churches and, you know, they say they're non-denominational, it's right, but mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've noticed that within the the clergy, right, I guess, you know, the, the, the people that are in leadership, that just in having individual conversations, like, even within themselves, they have different beliefs about, uh, you know, whether one saved, always saved, or... You know, I had one in one particular. One of the guys said that he believed in, like, you know, election, as and then, the, but the other people, the other pastors, some of them didn't believe that. And I thought, well, you know, what, you know, as far as, you know, I, I think that within a church, maybe everybody should have the same <laughs> faith, or, but you know what I'm saying? As far as like fundamental yeah, belief, Daniel, I'm laughing so because. I, man, you know, I'm laughing because I've been accused of saying, well, all of your staff believes the same thing. Of course they all believe the same thing. We're, we're walking together. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? And, and even more to the point, we don't want to confuse the people in our body. Uh, imagine what it would be like sending out all of these mixed messages. So um, uh, we, we want consistency. We want people, uh, who, if they came to Calvary Chapel 20 years ago and they showed up today, they would say, wow, nothing's changed. They still are walking in the, in the same direction. So um, uh, I'm, I'm going to do that. Can I, before I, I, I answer, we're coming up on a break in just about three minutes. I'd like to ask Wes, who's holding on, on the line from Johnson City. Wes, if you can hold on, I'd love for your phone call on the other side of the break. Daniel, this is why I tell people when they get saved, uh, sure, you've got to be a part of a church. You've got to find a church. God is going to lead you and guide you. But you also have to be diligent in doing your own study. For me... 
uh, I was so hungry for, for information that I devoured the Bible. And I didn't have any answers, but, but I, when I had questions, I would really dig up the answers. And you become convinced of, of doctrinal truths. Now, if, for example, you used uh, Calvinism um, uh, as an example, um, when, when I first started wrestling with the doctrine of election, uh, I had to decide which of the theories out there or which of the doctrinal positions out there was most consistent with the nature and the character of God. Is it even possible that God would create somebody with no chance at all to get to heaven? And that just isn't possible. So based on on what I knew about God and what I was learning about God, we learned to, to deal with the doctrines in the light of the character, the nature, the attributes of God. Um, the pre-trib rapture of the church, uh, the, knowing the character of God, any other position is impossible, absolutely impossible. So the thing I'm trying to suggest here, Daniel, it's really good for you to wrestle with all of these things. I mean, it's really good for you to wrestle with these issues and study them for yourself so that the Holy Spirit himself can convince you once and for all that this is who God is, and this is what these verses mean, or what the doctrine means. And once you do that, you'll never let go of stuff. You won't ever be able to be persuaded by somebody else to change your mind. Let the Spirit of God convince you. Daniel, thank you very, very much. Great question. Wes, will we be on the other side of the break? It's the word to stand up for life. 340-9585. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. It seems like the week is going so fast. 340-9585. Let's go to Johnson City and talk with Wes. Wes, thank you for your patience. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Good to hear you today. Thanks, Wes. Listen, I was corresponding with a lady uh, not long ago, and um, she asked me what Bible did I read or study from, and I told her it was a New King, King James Version, and she replied, and this is kind of new to me, she replied that uh, the New King James Version has removed and added and changed <laughs> things, and, uh, you know, I thought, well... What's the deal here? You know, I know other translations that, uh, you know, that uh, we should be aware of and uh, and not use. I've heard of those, but um, I never heard someone say anything about the New King, King James Version in that way. And so I thought she was just being a legalist or nitpicky or whatever. And she gave me a link, and I'm looking over, you know, the differences and where it was, where it's at in the Bible. And I really didn't see a lot to convince me. And then I seen something on Acts 3, uh, verse 26, that kind of got my attention. And I wanted you to reply to that. And it reads to you, this is the New King James Version. It says, to you first, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your inequities. And uh, and, uh, in the old King James Version, it reads, instead of servant, it says, unto you first, God, having raised up his son, Jesus, send him to bless you and turn away. Anyway, they used, uh, one says servant, the other says son. And uh, that kind of got my attention uh, for obvious reasons. And is this something I should be uh, concerned with? Yeah, no. Uh, she, the link she gave you was it was it to Gail Ripplinger? Uh, no. Okay, uh-huh. okay. Then then forget I gave you that name. You don't need to. Um, a, a couple of things, Wes. First, um, everybody who's King James only has sort of checked their logic in at the door. I mean, they, they, their brain isn't functioning. Um, language has changed a great deal since 1611. 
Words don't mean the same thing. Phrases don't mean the same thing that, that they meant uh, those hundreds of years ago. So, um, uh, obviously, because language isn't static, the new translations are going to change as well. We talk different than we did in 1611. So in all of the translations, the only difference is what set of manuscripts are they translating? The New King James is sort of a hybrid between the two, and it's a translation that is designed to make the old King James more readable and more user-friendly. Um, in, in Acts chapter 3, uh, having raised up his servant, um, that's Jesus was the servant of God. He was sent. He was on a mission from God. There's nothing at all uh, in that, in, in that um, statement that, that removes his deity uh, or, or anything else. Um, the 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 actual um, Greek word uh, for for that is um, uh, pahisht, and um, it's it's a word that is translated um, child, man, servant, son, and young man. So there's there's all those different ways in in the New Testament that it's used. And, and one group of translators picked son, and one picked servant. However, it's the only place in this particular case, in the King James, that it's translated that way for son. So the idea of servant Jesus isn't taking away his deity at all. As to adding things or subtracting things, uh, every one of the translations um, um, have... Anything that's been been removed, not removed, but but not included, because the the manuscripts, the Alexandrian manuscripts, as example, didn't have something. They all make notes that other translations say. So none, none of the translators, Wes, are trying at all to remove or add anything at all. Uh, this silly notion that they're trying to 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 chip away at the deity of Jesus Christ uh, is simply bad and dishonest scholarship. So. Uh, your New King James is a great translation, um, but but the person that you're talking to would have a problem with any translation other than the King James. And uh, the giveaway is, is well, what translation do you use? Um, because what they're going to do is get on the only King James-only bandwagon, and that's simply a... Uh, 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 an error in, in scholarship, an error in logic. If you think about it this way, Wes, if, in fact, the King James was the only authorized version of the Bible, and that's the claim that they make, this is the true Word of God, everything else is not. If that was true, it would mean there was no Bible before 1611. It would also mean that there's no Bible written in any other language than in English in the old King James. And we know that's impossible. God's Word has always been with us. So it's just a matter of which set of manuscripts they're translating. The Old King James uh, translates the, what are called the majority manuscripts or the Texas Receptus. The other translations are going to translate the Alexandrian manuscripts, which are older. Some people think that older means more authentic. I don't necessarily agree with that. But the point is that we have the Bible that we need, and it is the Word of God. Paula uh, reads the New King James. That's the Bible that she uses just this morning as she was reading to me. I said, you know, would you tell me what this says in, in, in the New King James? So she'll go get her Bible and read it. She's reading to me out of the 1984 version of the NIV. She'll go read it, and then we can compare it. But for the most part, uh, the, the King James-only people, Wes, are really, really... Um, mistaken and in many cases um, they've stopped thinking I hope that helps Wes thanks very much good to hear from you again as well 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll free 877-630-KSLR here is a question I really like it's from Kelly is Isaiah chapter, or I'm sorry, in Isaiah chapter 1, why would God say he hates their religious services? Kelly, one thing that's never changed, not from Isaiah chapter 1 till 2018 in June, right here in San Antonio, Texas, God has always hated religious services. 
We're a living organism, the Church of Jesus Christ. Religion is tradition, it's death. And in this particular case, in Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah is delivering a message of judgment. The Assyrians are coming, and, 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 and Isaiah is going to be perplexed. Why would you do this, Lord? Well, here's why. Because when they gather in their religious services, he says, my soul hates them. When they make offerings for sacrifice, my soul hates them. When they spread their hands out before me in prayer, I don't listen. And the reason he hates them is because they're not honest. These are men, and in many cases women, who were going through the motions of worshiping God, but whose hearts were far away from God. And that's why in this passage he goes to that place, I think it's verse 16, uh, come, let us reason together. Though your sins were as scarlet, that can be fixed. They can be white as snow. And Isaiah chapter 1 is a very, very powerful, powerful word to those who worship God religiously. They go to church. They check all the boxes. But in private, they're full of sin. And God has always hated hypocrisy. No, I didn't say he hates hypocrites, Kelly. He hates hypocrisy. Imagine what it was like. I always use this example in church, Kelly. When our worship team is singing and playing, leading the, 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 the rest of us who have no musical ability in worship. Uh, and this is one of my prayers for them, by the way, daily. You know, they've got a, an honor and a privilege they get to stand up on that stage, look out at people worshiping God, and, and they're the instruments that God is using to lead people into worship. Now, think about all the lyrics to the songs. Wherever you go to church, the next time you watch worship, they're probably going to have words up on a screen. Look at those lyrics. Now, imagine if my worship leader was living a life that was in contradiction to those lyrics. I surrender all. You're my everything. You're the air that I breathe. Whatever the song that, that you're singing. Imagine if, if the whole time he was singing that song, he was living in willful sin. God would say, I hate your sacrifice. Doesn't matter how pretty it is, doesn't matter how great their voices are, doesn't matter how expert the musicians are. But if their offerings are given while in sin, God hates them. So that's why he would say it. Remember, Kelly, religion has always been man's attempt to reach to God, to justify God. We'll ask people, uh, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, I was raised in church. That's not what I asked. Why well, go to church every Sunday? I didn't ask that either. Are you born again? And we try to use religious, a religious approach to God, like that should satisfy him. Well, I'm a good person. I know I don't do everything right, but at least I don't do this or at least I don't do that. Well, that religion has kept them away from God. Those are men and women who aren't saved. There's no virtue in going through the motions of a religious service, a worship service, if you don't mean what you say, if your life contradicts the words from your lips. And that's what Israel was guilty of. So guilty that God was going to judge them. And eventually he did with the Assyrians uh, much later in the time of Jeremiah with the Babylonians. Um, the whole point here is that God wants us to worship him because we love him. Jesus said if we love him, we'll obey him. And anything short of that, God hates it. I do too. Religion to me, Kelly, is a four-letter word. Here is an anonymous question. Is it wrong to have one or two drinks every day? Um, is it wrong? It's wrong to be drunk. It's wrong to be controlled by something. And it's my opinion. I'm, I'm a non-drinker, so it's very important you understand this. I never even had a drink of alcohol. Um, it's my opinion. Everyone who has one every day is in bondage to it. That makes it sin. So here's the way you can answer your question, Anonymous. Don't have one today. 
and don't have one tomorrow and see if it controls you or you control it. If you can have a drink or two and not get drunk, then it's not a sin. But remember, it's a sin if you can't go a day or two without it. So challenge yourself and you'll see where it is. The other thing I want to say about this question, Anonymous, is that when people ask me questions like this, I know that the Holy Spirit is already working on them. I know that already. So I hope that helps. Give it up. It won't do anything good for you. All things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial, Paul said. Let's go to San Antonio and talk with Mel on line one. Mel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Mel. How about you? I'm doing okay. I've, I've, I just moved into a new house, but i uh, got things strewn all over the place, but I, I'm, I'm taking time out to listen to the program. And I, I do thank the Lord uh, for you and you and Miss Paula and the show. Um, it, it is a fantastic program, and I know many people's hearts and souls are being touched by what you do every day. So thank you. You're being nice. You're too nice. Thanks, Mel. What's your question? Um, this is something that has perplexed me for a long time, and I, I know you're up to the challenge. I, I know you're just you're just a <laughs> wonderful font of of uh, biblical knowledge and spiritual truths and um anyway the question i have is about john chapter five the healing at the pool oh yeah and um it's where uh there was a man lying at the pool and jesus said uh, get up pick up your mat and walk and the man was cured he picked up his mat and walked um, and then later, um, Jesus found him at, in John uh, 5.14. He says, later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. That has always confused me. I'm not sure what that means. Does that mean that um, there are, if, if he were to continue sinning, that God would afflict him with something worse? <laughs> yeah, that's I, I exactly what I it means. What that means? I, I can tell you, Mel. Th- this this happens to be one of my two or three very favorite passages of scripture to teach on. Uh, I often teach on on the things that are keeping us from uh, a, a fruitful relationship with the Lord, and 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 this man at the pool of Bethesda is a great example. What Jesus is telling him is simple. Um, Jesus made him well. He healed him, and and he makes the point that sin was responsible for his sickness. This man was a paralytic for a long, long time. He had to have people carrying him to to the to the water, to the pool of Bethesda, in hopes that he could be the one that was thrown and healed. Well, Jesus, when he gave up on trying to help himself or gave up on trying to get somebody else to help him, Jesus walks up to him. Now, Mel, the thing that we need to remember in this passage of Scripture is that this this place was always packed with people. The crowd would be so thick, and every one of those people was looking at the pool, just waiting for any sign that an angel, the legend was that an angel would trouble the water, and then the first one who got in would be would be made well. They were staring at the pool. There was one man who has moved away from the pool over time but still win every day. And he sort of had to live vicariously through other people's um, um, healings and experiences. And, and, and it's this one man that Jesus sought out. Jesus walked up to him and basically said, do you want to be made well? And he says, well, there's no man to help me. And when, when we stop looking to people for help, then we're in the place where God can help us. Well, Jesus in the 14th verse makes it clear that sin was responsible for his sickness. Some claim it was a sexually transmitted disease, an ancient transmitted, uh, an ancient sexual disease. But, but, but we don't have any way of knowing that. But what we know for sure, based on the passage, is that sickness was the cause of his, or, or sin was the cause of his sickness. Now, there are some who say, well, whenever we, we are sick, then there must be some sin. It's not always that way. In fact, it's not even usually that way. But this particular man... A lifestyle of sin is what made him a cripple. 
It's why he couldn't help himself. Now, here's the inference when you get to verse 14 or verse 13. Actually, the man who was healed had no idea it was. Jesus slipped away. Well, when he walked away, he entered his old life again. I'm well. I can do this again. And, and he entered his in. Well, Jesus made sure he saw him again and said, look, you're well again. But you better stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. And what Jesus was telling him in as blunt terms as he could, look, sin got you there. I delivered you from there. If you go back into sin, then the, the latter condition is going to be worse than that at the first. So it was sin that was responsible for his sickness. And in this particular case, um, this man... Uh, ran right back into his sin. You know, the next verse, Mel, makes it seem as though um, the man didn't take Jesus' counsel. Verse 15 says that the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Um, Again, we don't know if he stopped sinning or not, but the truth is that, that he went away and told the Jewish authorities that it was Jesus. That would stir up trouble for Jesus. So it's my opinion, based on just the, the, the textual reading, that this is a man who went right back into sin. Jesus told him to stop, or something worse will happen, and he didn't take Jesus' counsel. We can't pretend that we can go on living as though we hadn't met Jesus. We have to change, and that's what this man was dealing with. So I hope that answers your question, Mel. Thank you very, very much. This Bible study is just one of the absolute all-time greats. 340-9585. You know, one of the reasons that that question, that that, that study always has pierced my heart. As a pastor, I see people all the time looking uh, for help from their problems or help from their trials in all the wrong places. And I always have this picture. I can't get it out of my mind, nor do I want to, but all these people, this huge throng of people, and they're all staring at the water and they miss the presence of God. You know, throughout the gospel accounts, we see Jesus going into places and healing everyone who is sick. There is no doubt in my mind that if people were looking for God, Jesus would have healed them all. But no, they were holding on to a legend. They were always doing they were doing what they were always did and hoping that today would be their day. And the only man that got healed was the one that Jesus approached. And then he asked the question, and I've asked this question to a lot of people whose lives are a mess, professing Christians whose lives are a mess. Do you really want to be well? And, and they've got the same choice that the man that was healed had. They can leave that conversation going back into sin, or they can leave that conversation walking with Jesus. One way produces fruit, abundant fruit. The other way just means that their life is going to deteriorate. And when God has touched somebody like he touched this man, there's an accountability. Jesus found him. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He went back into sin. Jesus chased him. And I love that. Mel, great question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to our old friend Anthony and Seguin. Anthony, good to hear from you again. Hey, Pastor Ron. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I, I'm doing doing good. I'm doing good. I'm blessed. Uh, just quickly, I just want to quickly add, add, ask you a question. Then uh, um, I don't have a I don't have a radio, so that way I can I listen and stay on, or do I have to get off? No, you can stay on the, on the line. We've got okay. four minutes, Anthony. So okay, make okay, your okay. question. Okay, the question is like the past four years have been very very difficult for me, and um, I've developed really bad uh, anxiety attacks and stuff like that. Is it wrong for a Christian to be told by a doctor to go see a psychiatrist? Or is it wrong for me to go to see a psychiatrist? Uh, Anthony, no, it's not wrong, um, but but you have to be aware of the inherent dangers. Psychiatry is based on ungodly principles. Uh, Psychiatrists are experts. They are trained uh, in diagnosing uh, mental illness, um, um, they, they can prescribe medications, appropriate medications for them. Um, but you just have to take your best discernment with you uh, because a lot of times they're going to give you ungodly counsel. Um, 
what I always advise people to do when they're having anxiety attacks or panic attacks is to first go see a, a doctor, a physical doctor, not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but a physical doctor to make sure nothing is wrong with them physically. And then before they take that step, where if you go to a psychiatrist, the first thing he's going to do is prescribe meds. And I've seen so many medicines uh, over-prescribed with, with horrible result. Um, the first thing then we, we would do, Anthony, is say, let's, let's just, you and Jesus, let's work this out together. And, and you're going to need help to do it. But, um, you know, the Holy Spirit is the healer. Now, if, if and panic attacks are real, anxiety is real, if if that doesn't solve it, then it very possibly is organic. It's something that needs to be addressed, and those doctors are able to help you. The, the, again, the only difficulty, Anthony, is that you're going to get a lot of ungodly counsel. Psychiatry, psychology is based on the principles of the same men that were 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 God haters from uh, a very very long time ago, uh, Freud and Jung, um, um, Skinner, and some others. Um, um, and, and really, for the Christian, there's no value. Um, but they are able to diagnose things that perhaps a medical doctor couldn't diagnose. And this is one of those things where you're going to have to ask the Lord to protect you and to go with you. And if you hear anything that is ungodly, just discount it. Um, but, but panic attack, as I said, are real. Anxiety is real. So perhaps they can help you. Anthony, I know you've had a tough time these last four years, and we've been praying for you, and I'm going to continue to pray for you now. But use discernment. Jesus lives in you. You love him. Make some beautiful music to him and ask him to speak to your heart. That's what you do. It's who you are. And in the process, Anthony, um, I'm confident that the Lord will, will give you direction about what to do. But it is not a sin. It's not wrong to do. It says nothing about your faith or lack of faith at all. To do as the Lord leads. Anthony, thank you for calling again. It's good to know that you're doing okay, and I'll be praying for these anxiety attacks. You have been listening to the word to stand on for life. Let me say to one of my favorite people in the world, my barber, happy birthday, Don Marie. God bless you. Hey, tonight, tough message. Pray for me. You've been listening to the word to stand on for life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. Paula will be with me. See you then. Bye bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.